Isaiah 7, verse 1 to chapter 8, verse 10. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Sher Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, and of the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves, and make the son of Tabiel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for flies from the Nile Delta in Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. They will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the crevices in the rocks, on all the thorn bushes and at all the water holes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from beyond the river Euphrates, the king of Assyria, to shave your heads and private parts and to cut off your beards also. In that day, a person will keep alive a young cow and two goats, and because of the abundance of the milk they give, there will be curds to eat. All who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, in every place where there were a thousand vines worth a thousand silver shekels, there will be only briars and thorns. Hunters will go there with bow and arrow, for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. As for all the hills once cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of the briars and thorns. They will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. The Lord said to me, Take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. So I called in Uriah the priest and Zechariah, son of Jeberechiah, as reliable witnesses for me. Then I made love to the prophetess, and she conceived 
and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, name him, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloah and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria with all his pomp, it will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, Emmanuel. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your stand. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's uh, Matt, if we've not met Matt Fuller. But here we are in um, Isaiah 7. We may need a little recap on some of the history. Some of the names uh, may be unfamiliar, or maybe some of the names appeal to you as for your future children. Meha Shalal Hashbaz, uh, not many of those. that's fallen out of popularity, uh, it seems today. But uh, let me uh, present that to you as uh, a name you might choose uh, if you're uh, pregnant, um, or, or for the future. Or if you want to change your name by deed poll, you just go for it. You don't want that one? No. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our great God and Father, thank such is the Such is the wonder of the Scriptures that uh, though written centuries ago, you speak them today, though describing distant events, we'll quickly see how utterly striking and relevant they are for this week, this day, our lives. And so, Father, help us understand, close that gap quickly, so we hear you speak this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 7 and 8, then, it's a crisis. And without wanting to sound glib, and I, I really do mean that, there is something of use in a crisis. It forces a decision upon you. It makes you nail your colors to the mast. It says to you, okay, now you really do choose which path you're going to take. So, well, none of us would choose it. A crisis certainly focuses the thinking and the decisions. I think of one man who came to see me a little while back. He's not here in church. He just works locally. But uh, uh, he's a, a broker, oil broker, and uh, had a bad year or so. And um, funds were low. I knew all that. And business was terrible. He was very stressed. And uh, then he came to see me. He asked, can I come with you? Yeah. Uh, he came to see me. We had a coffee one morning. He said, now, look, tomorrow I'm about to sign on a deal. Uh, and uh, my tiny percentage of it uh, is about a quarter of a million dollars. That's great. When you've been struggling for so long. Yeah, yeah, I've been working on this one for two years. It's great. He says, yeah, it is great. Um, I mean, everything's all ready. And, but the problem is I've been in this industry long enough. to I know that this oil's come from Iran. I know it's embargoed. I know it's illegal. 
And now they've got all the stamps on the pieces of paper and the lawyers are completely happy. And no one apart from me would ever know. But I know. But I haven't paid my mortgage for quite a while and my family's a bit stressed and we're wondering what we're going to do and it's a quarter of a million dollars. What do I do? And he said with a big smile on his face, look, I, I, I think I know what you're going to say. Uh, but big smile on his face, knowingly saying, obviously, I'll be very grateful if this deal goes through. And I'll be grateful to the Lord and, you know, the midweek ministries, I'm sure I'll be able to find a very large check for about a quarter of a million dollars. I mean, he said it with a big smile on his face. He knew what he was saying. But what do I do? I can do this and no one knows and it's fine and it's legal. I just know in my head it's not. What do I do? That's a choice, isn't it? Not many of us have that on a Monday morning, quarter of a million dollars or not. Well, the question is, who do you trust? That's the question for King Ahaz in Isaiah 7 and 8. Who do you trust? Who will you trust in a crisis? The Lord? or political alliances. Now, let's be clear at the beginning. It isn't either or. Often you can trust the Lord and a political alliance. In World War II, you can trust the Lord and still, if you're the UK, make alliances with the USA, USSR. That's not a, you're not forced into a choice there. Here, it is a binary choice. Either you trust the Lord or you trust your political allies. Or more simply, in a crisis, who will you trust? God's promises or your route through. Now, we're back in Isaiah then uh, from now until Christmas, and um, broadly, very, uh, uh, very broadly speaking, Isaiah, you could say two halves to it. Uh, chapters 1 to 39, the, the book of warnings. Chapters 40 to the end, 66, the, the book of grace in simple terms. Back in September, we, look in, um, we looked at chapters 1 to 6, which sort of introduced the whole book. How do you take a corrupt people and turn them into a godly people? How do you take this corrupt city of Zion and make it into a godly city, which is really the whole narrative in Isaiah? And now, really, from chapter 7 all the way to chapter 39, the question really looms, who will you trust? And Isaiah pushes that question upon us relentlessly. Who will you trust? Uh, in chapter 7, the year is 735 B.C. We know that from Two Kings, the, the book of Two Kings. Uh, Ahaz, he's only been on the throne a little while. His father had been the great King Uzziah, reigned for 50 years. Like Queen Elizabeth dying, goodness knows what we're going to do, particularly at the moment. But um, uh, so it's a time of instability. Ahaz has two threats, two problems. Uh, the first one, let's have a little map. Everyone loves a map. Uh, the first one is Assyria. So uh, there's a bit of a mixture of colors, and I'm colorblind, so I can't really tell. But um, uh, the, the, I think it's green. The, the big green blob, that's the one you should be mostly concerned about. Assyria, massive superpower. And if you're the little kingdom of Judah down in the, uh, the, the left-hand corner, whatever color that is, brown, I don't know. Um, oh, that's encouraging. Got that one right. Um, they're big, you're not. That's threatening. That's the problem number one. Assyria has woken up, it's the regional superpower, and it's saying, you give us money, or we will invade. 
it's a racketeering. It's like a ma mafia, mafia racketeering. You give us money, you pay us tribute. It recognizes that we're the big guys, or we invade. That's problem one. Problem two, let's have another map. Everyone loves a map. Problem two, and uh, I'll try and simplify this in a moment, but we've got the next map. Problem two is Judah's neighbors. That's brilliant, that one. Um, uh, the, the neighbors of Aram and Ephraim. They get called various things, and I've put all the different names on the sheets at the bottom, so hopefully you won't get too confused. But Aram and Ephraim, Syria and Israel, they're also call, called that. Now, those two, they say, hey, let's not pay money. Let's not pay money to um, Assyria. Let's all have a, let's, you, let's us three little kingdoms have a fight against the, the big one. And if you don't, Ahaz, we're going to invade you and put someone else on the throne. Let me try and make it simple. We've got the, uh, the, the animals. Oh, we lost all pictures. Oh. There we go. Here's my sort of attempt to make it very, very simple. There's dear little, the year is 735. Dear little Judah is the little mouse at the bottom. They've got problem number one, threat number one. You've got this massive superpower, Assyria. Problem number two, you've got these two rats, Aram and Ephraim. And poor little Judah goes, well, I've got a problem. What shall I do? And King Ahaz says, I'll tell you what, I'll make a treaty with Assyria. Assyria, can you go and gobble up the two little rats? And Assyria says, yes, I will. And so three years later, gobbles up Aram, and about a decade later, gobbles up Ephraim. But the only problem is she then turns around and gobbles up Judah for pudding. But those are the major players. Assyria, the dominant one. Judah, is, uh, is King Ahaz. You've got Aram and Ephraim. And here in chapter 7, the king says, well, what do I do? I'm going to get invaded by the two rats or stomped on by the cat. I'll make an alliance with the cat and he can kill the rats. That's as simple as it's going to get, I'm afraid. Okay? In 735. And we might leave that one up there so we don't get confused with the names. So that's the setting. But actually, the point of the text is very, very simple. It's who will you trust in a crisis? So we look at the choice for Ahaz, the response from God, and then the choice for us. Okay, that's how we're going to look at it. The choice for Ahaz, the response from God, and the choice for us. First then, in verses 1 to 12, the choice for Ahaz, it's God's promise or politics. So the scene is said in verse 1, when Ahaz, that's our sort of protagonist, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, king of Uzziah, was king of Judah, these other two, then the two rats, king Rezin of Aram, Pekah, of, of, son of Ramallah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they couldn't overpower it. Now the house of David uh, was told, that's Ahaz, was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Okay. So the whole nation is panicking. Troops, troop movements on the borders, these Aram, Ephraim, they know there's going to be invasion. The air raid warnings are going off. The young men are being called up to the army. The, the, the reserves are being called in. Everyone's being told, black out your windows, build up the sandbags, invasion is coming. Ahaz, verse 3 He's checking out the water supply. Well, there's going to be a siege. You want to make sure you're safe. We've got plenty of water. The Lord said to, uh, uh, verse 3, the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shir Jasub, to uh, meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the laundress field. 
Go out with you and your son. Now, you'll notice in this passage, Isaiah gets told to call his kids some pretty strange things. This kid, Shir Jashab, you can see from the footnotes, uh, a remnant will return. Now, that's not a very encouraging name. If you went to either, you know, Boris Johnson or uh, uh, Jeremy Corbyn at the moment and said, uh, after the election, a remnant will return of your MPs. They're not going to go, great, some are going to return. They're going to go, oh, a remnant. So when Isaiah goes with his son, that is, oh, that's not very encouraging for uh, King Ahaz. But here's the message, verse 4, and the message is better. Verse 4, say to him, say to King Ahaz, Isaiah, be careful, keep calm and carry on. You see, it came here in the Bible first before it appeared on every single poster you've ever seen. Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. Don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. These pathetic kings, these tiny nations, Aram and Ephraim, smoldering stubs, it's like the end of a fire. There's a bit of smoke, but there's no heat left. It's, it's just got a few minutes before it's dead. Don't fear them. Stay calm. Don't be afraid. Verse 5, oh, look, they'll make a lot of noise. Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son. I'm not even going to name them. You know, I can't bother to name these pathetic kings. I'll just call them by their dad's name. Yeah, look, verse 5, they've plotted your ruin. They'll say, yeah, we're going to invade Judah. We'll tear it apart. We'll divide it among ourselves. We'll install a puppet, uh, the son of Tabal, king over it. And then the three of us can join up together and fight Assyria, the, the cat. This is what God says, verse 7, they're nothing. They're nothing. Don't fear them. Verse 7, this is what the sovereign law says. It will, it will not take place. It will not happen. The head of Aram is Damascus. That's the capital. The head of Damascus is only resin. He's the king and he's pathetic. Look, within a few years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. And look, the head of Ephraim, Samaria, that's their capital. Samaria is only Ramalia's son. Again, I'm not going to name the bloke. He's, he's, I can't even remember his name, says the Lord. He's so unimpressive and so unimportant. But here's the point, verse 9. Ahaz, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. You've just got to stand firm. Just keep trusting me, Ahaz. I am the place of security. Get a good commentary on this a little later, looking back, chapter 30, the Lord declared, look, in repentance and rest was your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you'd have none of it. Here's what you're meant to do here. In repentance is your salvation. In trust is your strength. That's when you're secure. When you repent of your independence and you trust in the Lord, that is salvation, that is strength, Ahaz. But Ahaz is having none of it. I mean, the Lord knows, verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, look, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. Look, Ahaz, I know you're struggling to believe me right now, but look, Aridium would be, you can ask me to move heaven and earth and I'll do it for you. You just got to trust me, Ahaz. But Ahaz says, verse 12, uh, look, I, I, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. 
sort of sounds pious. But God has said, ask me for anything. And Ahaz says, no, 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 I don't want to do that because I've already made up my mind. Ahaz, you ask for any sign, I'll move heaven and earth. I've made up my mind. I'm trusting Assyria the cat. So that's Ahaz's choice. Will he trust God's promise? Or his political maneuverings? I'll trust Assyria the cat to eat up the rats. That's what I'm putting my faith in right now. That's his choice. Secondly, then, we get the response. The response from God, well, it's twofold. It's a son and a king. In uh, 7.13 uh, to the end of our passage, really 8.8, the response from God is a son and a king. There's a, you see the contrast that takes place here. Verse 11, uh, Isaiah, or the Lord, had said, uh, Ask the Lord your God, Ahaz, for a sign. He says, no. Verse 13, Isaiah said, Or hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Ahaz asked the Lord your God for a sign. Uh, I won't. Okay, Ahaz, he's my God now. He's not your God anymore, Ahaz. You've missed it. Your chance is gone. Therefore, verse 14. It's a slightly odd therefore, because uh, from from verse 14 to the end of the the section, there's an alternation, really, between God promises a son will be born, and then the king of Assyria will invade, and he goes back and forth between these two. So it's positive, then negative. So positively, verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. Well, that's good. Of course, these words quoted in Matthew chapter 1 will be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. But, but here in Isaiah, well, who do they refer to? A virgin will conceive. Well, it's not actually a word for virgin. It's just young woman, maiden. We might best translate it. A maiden will conceive. Just a woman who's fairly young, not necessarily a virgin. But give birth to a son. Call him Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 15, he'll be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. So what on earth that means? Well, eating curds and honey, we'll get there in a moment, verse 22. That's just devastation has come. There's no crops no wheat. All that's left is what you get from the animals. And so devastation will come before the kid is old enough to know right from wrong. Well, you can, what is that? Teenage? I don't know. That's what most commentators say. Take it or leave it. But before long, an invasion is going to come. And verse 16, for before the boy knows enough to reject the right and wrong, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Well, great. Well, this is good. This is a good message, says Ahaz. I, I, I like this, but, but I mean, a, a child is going to be born, uh, and before he's too old, a teenager maybe, uh, these two rats are going to be destroyed. Great. So what a great decision I've made. Why is old me? Ah, but verse 17. But then the Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He'll bring the king of Assyria. Well, 200 years earlier, Israel had been one nation. 
And then it's split. Ten tribes go off to the north and become Ephraim, and, and two tribes remain as Judah, and there's civil war, and it's horrible. It's the worst time in Israel's history 200 years earlier, about 922 B.C. And here, Isaiah says, oh, it would be worse than that. Because actually the whole land's going to be invaded. Oh. And then really 18 down to 25 are just pictures of devastation. The repeated phrase, in that day, in that day, in that day. Devastation, verse 20, in that day the Lord will use a razor hired from by beyond the river Euphrates, the king of Assyria, to shave your heads and private parts and beards. I mean, humiliation. When someone shaves you that closely, that is humiliation when an enemy does that to you. In that day, verse 21, a, a person will keep alive a, a young cow and two goats, and that will feed everyone's left in the land. One cow, two goats can feed everyone because there's no one left. Because Assyria will take everyone off as slaves into exile. Devastating. Verse 23, the fertility of the land has gone. In that day, every place where there will be where a thousand vines worth a thousand silver shekels, there's just briars, thorns. You can't hunt anything, verse 24. You can't grow anything, verse 25. Devastation. Oh. The sun but then the king of Assyria. Then chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, you go back to the sun. So the Lord said to me, oh, I'll take a, a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen, Mahashalal Hashbaz. Can you imagine? Uh, well, anyway, we'll come back to that. But uh, so I called in Uriah, the priest, and Zechariah, son of Jeropachiah, as reliable witnesses for me. I think the point of this one is, I want this to be public. I want a man wandering around with a big sandwich board saying, Mahashalal Hashbaz, Mahashalal Hashbaz. We can see from the footnotes, uh, quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. In other words, it's the end of Judah is nigh. I want someone wandering around with a massive sandwich board, and I want the, the people you trust most, I don't know who that is in a contemporary political climate, but anyway, the people you trust most as reliable witnesses to say, yeah, yeah God promised this. And in verse 3, I, I make Mr. and Mrs. Isaiah get together, and quite quickly they have a baby, and they name him Mahashalal Hashbaz. And I have a lovely picture of Mrs. Isaiah calling him for dinner every day. And uh, what a strange household that must have been as she called out her son's names to summon them for, uh, for dinner in the evening. But um, what it seems to be here then is that in the flow of Isaiah, the son promised in chapter 7 is Mahashal al-Hashbaz of chapter 8. They're one and the same person described here. Mrs. Isaiah, clearly a young maiden at the time. And again, it's positive, verse 4. For before the boy knows how to say, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off in the, by the king of Assyria. Well, yeah, about nine months later, Assyria invades, captures Damascus. Great, again, says Ahaz. So I did get it right. It was right for me to trust Assyria to protect me against those two. No, no, no. Verse 5. Let me again say that you will suffer at Assyria's hands. 
So the Lord said again, verse 5, verse 6, because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shaloa and rejoices over Rezin and the sons of Amalia, their destruction. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty flood waters of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria, with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep up to Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, reaching up to the neck. Look, here was your choice, Ahaz. There was me. And I may have just looked like a small stream flowing through the land. And you might have looked at Assyria and said, look, they look like a mighty flood. I'm trusting the mighty flood, not the Lord. But just because I don't appear visually impressive before you, I am the Lord. And you've made a bad choice, Ahaz. And so this mighty flood that you've trust to sweep away Aram and Ephraim, it'll flood you up to the neck when they invade, which happens 701, a number of years later. What are we meant to take away from this? Not trusting the Lord is a destructive choice. That's what you and I are meant to take away from this. Failure to trust the Lord is a destructive choice. Of course, for, for Ahaz, it looked like he'd done the right thing. You know, here we are in 735. Within a couple of years, Assyria had taken away his problem of Aram and Ephraim. They'd been broken. And about 13 years later, Ephraim completely destroyed and wiped off the map. But certainly for the next two years, Aram, excuse me, Ahaz could have said, well, that was a good decision. I'm the man, politically. I, I brokered the deal. I mean, everyone said we were in trouble. Everyone said my days were numbered, but I'm the man. I, I made a deal with Assyria and drove away our, 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 our enemies. And here we are. I'm the daddy. I'm the wise king. I got it right. And the Lord says, you are a fool. It may work in the short term for a couple of years, but you will be destroyed. And failure to trust the Lord is a destructive choice. And so for you and me, lastly then, the choice for us, well, I guess you could sum it up like this. It's Emmanuel or independence. You and I know that although this son promised in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8, it's Isaiah's son, Mahashalal Hashbaz. It is in history. And yet, even as you read through Isaiah, chapter 9 says, when the son is born, it'll be after Assyria has invaded. And you think, well, how can this son be born within a couple of years? And the son will be born after Assyria has invaded. And the son as we heard earlier, will bring darkness to a land which is, excuse me, will bring light to a land which is in darkness. So although the first fulfillment of these prophecies, yeah, it's Isaiah's son, Mahashal al-Hashbaz, ultimately, of course, it's looking forward to the Lord Jesus. That's why Matthew quotes this in Matthew chapter 1. Ultimately, Emmanuel, God with us, is Jesus, God physically with us. And you and I have a choice whether we trust him or our own devices. That's a choice on one level just for salvation. 
do we trust that Jesus can take us to heaven? Or do we think we'll earn our own way there? That choice? But for those of us who are Christians, it's also, what will we do in a crisis? Do we trust God's promises? Or do we trust our own political maneuverings, our own wisdom? Now, again, remember, it's only when there's an either or. Sometimes you can trust both. You can say, look, there's a situation at work, and I trust the Lord, and I make an alliance with another colleague to stop a manager doing something completely daft. Yeah, but that's entirely possible. But sometimes it is binary. Do I trust the Lord? Or do I fail to trust him and trust my own devices? The guy who worked locally, the oil broker, he was in one of those moments. What do I do? Do I take the money and walk away and no one will ever know? It's all signed off. But I know if I do that, I'm not trusting the Lord. And in my conscience, I know what's wrong. That was an easy conversation for me to have because I could say to him, well, why have you come to see me? You know what you're going to do. The fact that you've entered into this room and told me all that, you know what you're going to do, don't you? Just thought you might have a loophole for me. But he trusted the Lord. Or in a crisis, I think of a minister I spoke to this week, he had faced a choice, he was told this. Uh, the school that the, uh, the church has been meeting in, uh, they said, we don't like, we've heard some of the things you're teaching, and we don't like the fact that you say Jesus is the only way to heaven. We think that's offensive. We think that's going to offend some other communities. So here's your choice, minister. If you want to stay in our hall, you've got to stop saying that. Or if you keep saying Jesus is the only way to go to heaven, you're out. And there's a choice, isn't there? Do I trust the Lord and keep saying, being faithful to the Bible, or do I make an alliance, which is politically expedient, because it's a great, great school to meet in, great venue. What will you do? Trust the Lord? Trust your own wisdom? Or, and many will remember, I think of lovely Danny and Shelby Wanstroth, who used to be here, who at 20 weeks, the 20-week scan of their baby, were told this child will not reach term, and if it reaches term, will not survive outside the womb. Terminate. Terminate now. Save yourself a lot of pain. And they said, yeah, that would save ourselves a lot of pain and angst, but we don't think that's right. We choose to trust the Lord in this crisis. We're just going to do the right thing, even though the next few weeks are going to be utterly miserable. Oh, that's an emotional choice. And when baby Georgia was baptized here months later, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house as she went on to have a full life. Or I think of a friend Christian friend who works in a bank in the city, uh, and last year was asked to sign off the book at year end, you know, the, uh, the, the, the record of all the transactions, etc., and said, I can't sign this off. Look at that, there's that gap. That's, that's not right. Well, look, you sign that off or you get out, and there is no bonus for you again. 
You could just make this alliance. No one else, no one else is going to check. No one else understands it apart from you and me. Just sign the thing off. Keep your job, have a bonus. Trust the Lord, lose your job, get no bonus. Don't do the latter. And of course, in the short term, it seems so stupid. In the short term, you can do the wrong thing and think, I got away with that. That's worked. But it's disaster. There's the choice. There's the choice in a crisis. Again, hear me rightly, it's only when it's binary. It's when to take a path of political expediency is to go against the word of God. It's binary here. Here's the choice. Will you trust God to provide or will you trust the expedient route? And sometimes the Lord will put you in a crisis. And that's when you know what you believe. That's why without sounding glib, sometimes a crisis is good for clarifying. Not easy, not desirable, and yet it could be useful as you're forced to choose. And those of us who are Christians, we say, Lord, this is hard right now. I can't see you. You seem to be a little stream. I'm fearful of the mighty flood. I, I can't see you, but I trust you. And I know that you've demonstrated yourself in history to be trustworthy beyond doubt. I know that. And Christmas is coming. It's a time when we read the promises of Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, and a child will come and we say, yeah, all those have been fulfilled because you always keep your promises. And trusting your promises is always the right thing to do. And no matter what happens in the short term, in the long term, is always the right path and is always the best thing for us. And those of us who are Christians, therefore, we say we know that supremely Emmanuel came, Jesus came, and we trust him. And so when we're forced to choose Emmanuel or independence, we say we've seen Jesus. We know Jesus has walked this planet. I have my faith in him. I trust him. I gulp. I hold my breath. I wait for the flood to overcome, but I trust him. Where will you turn? Whom will you trust in a crisis? You turn to Jesus. He's the demonstration that God always keeps his promises. Let me lead us in prayer together. Our great God and Father, we thank you that in your wisdom you allowed these events to happen in history. They're recorded for us, for our good, as examples and a warning to us. And so as we consider and dwell upon this strange encounter in history, would the lessons be strikingly clear to us? Would we know that you are a God who is trustworthy? Failing to trust you is madness. And that even in the crises, even when we're anxious and nervous, we know we can trust you because you've demonstrated you're utterly trustworthy, supremely in Jesus. Help us to trust him, we pray.
Amen.